So now that we have a foundation for intimacy and relationship, the image that God created in the earth, the first relationship is between man and woman. And as a woman, we understand that the heart really is the most important part of the relationship. If the heart's not, not touched, if the heart's not, uh, if it doesn't feel loved, if it doesn't feel appreciated, if it doesn't feel understood, if it doesn't feel validated, we feel a wedge or a division. And that, really that's why you guys are here. We're going to look for any wedges, any dividing walls that you felt you needed to build as a child to survive and grow up in your family and make it through whatever dysfunction that you have. Why? Because every one of us has it. I've never met a family that's not dysfunctional. As a matter of fact, in the garden, would we agree that God, Mama and Daddy God, we don't normally think of God that way, but God created Adam male and female, created he them after his own likeness and image. So we know that there's Mama God and Papa God. And that was a perfect family in the garden, but yet Adam and Eve had an identity issue and walked away from God and ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and then was having, they had to be put out of the garden. So they had the perfect mom and dad, the perfect environment, and still they turned away from God. Isn't that interesting? Like, don't you think like if your mom and dad would have just been like this, then you wouldn't have had these issues. You know, if I could be the perfect mom and my husband could be the perfect dad, we can spare our children from having the issues that we have. Well, I thought that. Raised my kids in church. Then when they started rebelling a little bit, I didn't make them go to church, but I still lived the life because I didn't want to shove God down their throat. And I, we had a great family life and we had lots of dysfunction and we talked about our dysfunction openly and we gave our children skills of how to deal with our dysfunction so that they had a voice. Because a lot of children don't have a voice. I felt like I didn't have one as a kid. And so I didn't want my kids to not feel like they didn't have a voice. So when they grew up and they rebelled, I was like, wait a minute. I thought this wasn't going to happen. I was going to do it different. I wasn't going to do what this or that that I disagreed with. And as both of my children rebelled and I cried out to God, I said, God, what did I do wrong? He said, oh, are you a better parent than me? I was like, no, I, why would you think that I'm thinking I'm a better parent than you? He said, well, both of my children left me in the same day. And I was perfect in a perfect setting. And I created them without flaw. And I'm like, kind of like, well, yeah, why did you put that tree there? And why would you tell them don't eat it if you knew they would? Why'd you make that stupid serpent? Like that just messed everything up. Didn't you know that was going to mess everything up? So I'm actually vilifying and insinuating that God didn't know what he was doing. How pious and proudful is that? Like that I've questioned God's integrity and wisdom by questioning those two things. Have you guys ever questioned that? Mm -hmm. Why did you do that? Like, we wouldn't be in this mess. Well, guess what? It's not a mess as you suppose. God wasn't ignorant. God isn't stupid. He's not indifferent. And he didn't make something that could outsmart him. Isn't that wonderful news? That's called the gospel. It's good news. And before the foundations were ever laid, he already had a plan of salvation to restore and bring resurrection 
no different than a here's another here's another parable another level of seeing something in a different dimension no different than when you put a seed in the darkness why does a man put a seed in the darkness is it because he hates the seed is it because he's punishing the seed is it because he wants the seed to be deceived he puts the seed in the ground so the form the outside shell the outside form that limiting thing that protective covering will fall away and it germinates and will resurrect out of the death of the seed see unless a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die it abideth alone but if it die, it'll bring forth fruit right so if man knows to do that where do we get that wisdom from from our father who put us human beings in the earth which is a dark place in a form with an outer shell that will one day fall off and the true us will be resurrected as manifested sons of God who Jesus said would do greater works. Didn't Jesus said, if you want to live, you must die? That's what he said. And he wasn't talking about getting in the grave. He was talking about a different kind of dying. And we all have this outer shell that, we, that has been formed around our hearts from the time we were little bitty. It's a protective wall of our perception. Certain things happen. It hurts our feelings. We build a callus and a frame of uh, a mold in our brain of the way we see the world. And the way we see the world is based on how you felt during the facts of your life. You either felt love or you felt rejected. We, won't, we can call that word rejected fear. We'll use those synonymously. Fear and rejection go hand in hand because it's really the fear of rejection. It's the fear of not being loved, the fear of not being accepted, the fear of being different, the fear of not fitting in, the fear of being misunderstood. It's really the fear of not being loved. So the, all of your feelings come out of two emotions, either the emotion of feeling loved or the emotion of fear. And then the feeling itself that we describe like acceptance or betrayal, understood or misunderstood, validated or disrespected. Do you see what I'm saying? Like all those things are going to come out of your deduction of your past experiences <coughs> and how they made you feel. So your facts. Now facts are... Um, they're real, and you cannot tell your brain that they're not. If you try to do that, your brain will not believe you. And so mind over matter doesn't work like we think it does. But there's two major parts to your brain that we're going to be talking about. One is your frontal lobe, which doesn't even really fully form to you about 21 to 26, depending on if you're male or female. And the, and the diencephalon, or the limbic brain. Now, I'm gonna, here's another place for another language. Limbic and the word limb, the word branch, and the word bride. They're the same thing. The word branch and the word female is the same word. The word vine, our circulatory system, the vascular system and vine, they're the same thing. The branch is connected to the vine, and what comes out of that branch? The flower or the ovum, and then the fruit. See, and Jesus said, you are the branches, I am the vine. 
unless you abide in me, you can't produce fruit. So that's an intimacy. That's a deep, deep intimacy that we must abide. But what happens is as we're maturing, as we're growing up and we're wounded, we build all these little walls, these little calluses. That doesn't mean we're bad people. It was supposed to be that way. God knew what he was doing when he created you. Just like your hand has a callus. If you were to work with a hammer all day long, would a callus be bad or good? Good. Good. Why is it good? To protect your hand. If it didn't protect your hand, you would lose it. Infection, the skin would come off, all layer, then the meat would come off, you'd be, you'd be bone. See, so calluses aren't bad. And the calluses on your heart are not bad. But they're only for a season. They're for the season to get you to the place of maturity so that you can finally let all those walls fall off so that you can germinate and manifest and bring forth fruit as Jesus did. And you're supposed to be bringing greater works is what we're supposed to be walking in. So what we're going to be dealing with all day today and through, you know, we're going to take breaks and things like that. We're not going to just shove everything because it's a lot of information and then we're going to utilize that information to get those calluses off of your heart. You wouldn't be ready for that. I mean, you wouldn't be here unless you're ready for it. So when, does it, when do we start dealing with the calluses on our heart? When, we, when we're done working and our work don't work anymore. When you've done all that you could do, like she's done all that she could do to, to heal and nothing's working, right? So when the, work, when the work is done, when the fullness of the work of your hands is over and you go, wait a minute, this isn't working. Now it's time to put the hammer down, get out of the work of your hands and start seeking the kingdom of God that's in you. Why? Because he said, if you seek the kingdom of God that's inside of you, all these things shall be added. What things? Everything. So that there's no lack in your life. And no lack really means none. Like in the book of Timothy, I think it's 2 Timothy, it says that count it all joy when you go through different trials and tribulations. Why? Because it's going to work patience in you and patience will perfect you. That word perfect means fill you up and make you like a mature bride. It doesn't mean like no faults. It means mature. It will perfect you and then you will lack nothing. Lack nothing? Wait a minute. I always got stuck on patience and perfection and trials and try to act happy when I'm really going through a trial. But I got stuck over there. And I never could understand this. Wait a minute. This is, I'm a lack nothing? So I begin to dig and try to figure out how can I lack nothing? There's, some, there's a clue here. Well, the clue is in rejoicing. So I used to fake rejoice. I used to pretend I was, or I would put on my praise and worship music and Rejoice until I forgot about whatever my trial was for about 30 minutes or however long until I, was, I had to face my trial again and I was back not happy. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about where the Holy Ghost has revealed all truth unto you and the truth and the purposes of trials are unveiled and because you understand it, you rejoice. Just like when you get pregnant. And you wake up one morning and you're vomiting and you think you have the flu. Well, you're not rejoicing while you're vomiting. And you're not feeling good, you're dizzy, 
you go to the doctor, you think something's wrong, and then you find out you're pregnant, you're going to have a baby. Now you can rejoice. But if it's the flu you think you have, you're not rejoicing. Now, when I had my baby girl, I, was, I had morning sickness for three solid months. Every morning, every afternoon, and at night. Let me tell you something. It was only the joy set before me that got me through. It was the fact that I had a baby girl. didn't know it was a little girl at the time. But it was the fact that I knew I was going to have a baby that gave me the strength to endure. That was my rejoicing. But it didn't feel good while my body was changing. And once those three months was over, I was so glad. Because hugging the toilet was misery. So... I couldn't fake, I wasn't faking joy that I was having a baby. I really had joy. But when I was hugging the toilet, my joy wasn't manifesting. You see? And so it's the same thing. I'm going to show you how you've got trials and tribulations already in your heart that have been calloused over. That you really haven't dealt with yet. Why? Because your limbic brain wasn't mature enough to bud a little flower and produce fruit yet. It was still a little sapling. It, the branch wasn't mature. You, you were not ready to be a bride yet. Is Jesus coming for a bride? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's not coming to be one with a child. He's coming to be one with his bride. Not in the sense of physical oneness, like a man and a woman, but spiritual oneness where he said, you, it's no longer even you that live, but me that's living in you. You're so one with Christ that his mercy flows through you. His kindness, his wisdom, his understanding, his light. He, he talks about the bride shining so much that kings will come to her shining. That's pretty big shining. For somebody to hear about your reputation, that they come to you and say, what is this shining that you're, that, that's upon your life? What does shine mean? It means to glow. What does to glow mean? It means to see, glory, revelation. And what do we call a pregnant woman? Glowing. The word pregnant and to swell and to be anointed is all the same word. It means to have the seed bringing forth life. So a man can give you a physical seed and you bring forth life. But Jesus gives you him, his word, which is seed in your heart, and that brings forth life also. That seed of God is eternal. The seed of man is temporary. That's why we're not going to have marriage or given of marriage when we get to heaven because that, that image will have served its purpose for us to understand what it means to be a bride spiritually. And so we're going to look for the calluses, the trials and tribulations that are in your heart that as a child you covered up with, with bark, if you will, since we're talking about branch, right? You've got this hard outer shell that the winds and the storms of your life have helped you develop, but we now want that branch to, to not trust in its protection anymore, but trust in the fruit of the vine, that, that nourishment's coming from the vine so the, the branch can sprout a flower, and which is where the ovum is, and then that fruit come out of that. Again, what is the fruit? Meekness, long-suffering, gentleness, patience, kindness, self-control. All those different things, they're not a work of your hands.
They're not a decision that you make. They're not a choice. I'm going to choose to be kind. No, that's like a little girl pretending she's a mama carrying her baby on her hip, but she's not really a mama. She's pretending. Well, when you're choosing to be kind, that's not spontaneous. That's not abiding in the vine. That's choosing with your mind. Well, I'm going to show you how to abide in the vine so that your heart and your emotions become one with Jesus' emotions. Because what is it that a woman really wants from a husband? To be one emotionally. See? And when you don't have it in the natural, you get real hungry for it. And you start digging and searching and bugging the heck out of your husband. Trying to get him to connect with you emotionally. Or the only other solution is shut down. And just stay numb or calloused in the heart. And a lot of us have done that. We've just calloused over. And we go about, we do our work, and we might connect a little bit with our children emotionally, you know, or you might connect with a friend. But you really want that connection with your husband and you can't find it because how are you going to have emotional intimacy with somebody you can see if you can't, I mean, with somebody you, you can't see, if you can't have it with somebody you can see? Like, if I can't have emotional oneness with my husband, how am I going to find it with God? You're not, are you? If you can't even see the person. So what God showed me is he said, Angela, you can't be one with me until you're one in yourself. You got to know yourself. And scripture says, when you know him, you will know yourself as you are known. And remember, Jesus said, if you knew my father, you'd know me. He wasn't talking about up here. That's where they were talking from. They were talking from the law and their knowledge and reasoning and logic. And he was saying, you would know me. And that word know is yada in, in the Hebrew. It means you would know me like Adam knew Eve and bore a son. And that's kind of weird because like, wait a minute. I would know you like, you like a man knows a woman? Yeah, but not physically. Spiritually. Where your heart and my heart is so one that my word is your word. And you carry your wor my word in your heart because you know me, not because it's the right thing to do. How would you like it if you only made love with your husband because it's the right thing to do? Because you got a piece of paper in a box. I don't know about you, that's just creepy to think about. I don't, I, that's like, that's like a, a, a young woman living back in the, I don't know, early centuries and having to get married because of her bloodline. And she's not even in love, and she just has to marry this person because it's the right thing to do. And they have a piece of paper in a box. Like, does that sound like something you want as a woman? Me either. I don't want to be married because I'm, because I'm committed. I tell people, if I have to be married only out of commitment, would you commit me? Just lock me up. Because if my heart is not in it, I'm not in it. And I don't want to be in it. It's got to be where my heart feels one. And th when that began to happen in my relationship with my physical husband, Jesus began talking to me and said, now you know how I feel. My church, my bride wants to obey me, wants me to lord over them, wants to do everything right, wants to make everything out of decision because they made a commitment, but they don't know me. They say, Lord, Lord, but their heart is far from me. Well, you, you guys, what we're here for is to get deep into our hearts. 
And I'll expose my heart and share with you some of my stories. Why? So it can build relationship with you and you can feel safe enough to let me in your heart. Because if I don't get in your heart, I can't help you. When Shell first came to see me, I said, we got to get in there. Well, completely shut down. And when you ask her, when did you feel the best? Well, when she was working with me, where? In her heart. That's where the healing is. What did you say? Seek first the kingdom and how much will be added? All will be added. And so we numb this part down because we need to at first to survive our life and to get through the hardships. And some hardships are really hard and some are not so bad when you compare them to others. But even it, you know, when you try to compare, that minimizes your pain. So we're not here to compare. We're he- and we're not here to beat up your mom or beat up your dad or dishonor anyone. So why do I say that? Because a lot of times when we start uncovering things in the heart, we feel, we feel like we're dishonoring our parents if we talk about our childhood, you know, if our feelings were hurt. We're not dishonoring them. I promise you, your mama would be very happy for your heart to heal. That's, that's what, when I met her, that's what she came here for. I, I, whatever it takes, I want my daughter to heal. It's all I'm, it's what I'm interested in. I said, we got to go in some tough places. It's going to hurt your feelings. And you're going to feel like a failure at some places. We're not trying to make you feel like a failure. We want you to heal. But the, but the natural thing is to minimize, justify, rationalize, and protect. So we're not here to minimize any of your sorrow and suffering. I don't care how tiny it is. If you're teeny tiny and your heart's broken, it's still a broken little heart. And that little broken heart is just as broken as a big giant issue. So it doesn't matter if somebody was just picking at you or they didn't mean anything by it. We're not going to deal with they didn't mean anything by it. That's logic. We're going to deal with the, with the feelings of that little girl. So the feelings can heal. That's the most important. So again, when we start digging, it'll, it may feel like you're being dishonorable. We're not. We're not I, look, I'm no different than your mom. I'm no different than you. I've hurt my children's feelings. My mama's hurt my feelings. But my mother was an amazing mom. Your mother's an amazing mom. So we're not here to beat her up, but we are going to find the places where she wounded you. Why? So we can heal those places. So how do we heal them? We go in the memory. We, bring, we surface the pain into the bloodstream. We surface it through the memory. Your brain is so perfectly formed that when you go into the memory, I'll provoke your emotion by um, talking about things like sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. If I engage your five senses with the memory, instantaneously the hypothalamus will create the exact concoction of ligands, chemical ligands, and neurological uh, transmission that occurred as though it happened, as if it was happening right now. If I take a man that's been in in war back on the battlefield through memory, guess what happens to him? His heart begins to pound. His hands will sweat. He'll even begin to tremble and maybe even have a panic attack. Why? Because the brain remembers it perfectly. Maybe not the details, but the emotion is what it remembers. The little hypothalamus is a chemical lab, and that's what we want to happen. We want that chemicals to come out of that hypothalamus in the exact concoction that it remembers. That's why you can... Hear a song, maybe when you was a teenager, 
and you had your first puppy love and then you hear an old song and you're, you get that flush feeling, well, you're not still in love. Your hypothalamus just worked. That's all it means. So that's what we're trying to do. When that gets in the bloodstream, we can put new information into the brain and now that chain link protein, that memory is changed forever. And that's what we want to heal. We want that part of the brain to feel loved, connected, understood, and whole. If it feels like it's missing love, it won't feel whole. It'll feel sick or diseased or separated. So that's the reason we're going to go into these places. And when we're there, I'm going to, I'm going to be talking to you in some different languages, but the language is going from the language of the natural into a language of the unseen, the unseen part of you, the heart part of you.